This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There were times when I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessing, consolation. That my trials only come to make me strong. scripture in your sermon notes there, but it's Revelation chapter 21, and uh, we'll be looking at several verses right at the very beginning, but today we continue our series entitled, After Your Last Breath, and we're going to talk about the subject of heaven. Before that, on the, on the lighter side, just to retell a worn-out heaven joke. You know, you've all heard of heaven jokes. And a man dies and goes to heaven. He meets God and asks him if he can ask him a few questions. And 
And God says, sure, go, go right ahead. And the man says, you know, why did you make women so incredibly beautiful? They're just an amazing creation. And, and God says, well, I did that so you would love them. Well, the man thinks about that for a moment and said, but then God, why did you make them such airheads? And God, without missing a beat, responds back and said, so they would love you. Uh, anybody want to hear one more or is that enough? You know, my, I know these are bad jokes. And I, I told you before, I got a, an unsigned note one time at the end of a service that I don't appreciate your jokes. I think it was my wife's handwriting. I'm not sure there, but let, let me tell you one more. A, a reporter went to heaven and saw two lines. Over one line, there was a sign that said, for men who were dominated by their wives. And, and it was a long, long, long line. And the other line had a sign over it which read, for men who dominated their wives, but there was only one man in that line. Well, the reporter went up to, to the man that was standing all by himself and said, Sir, could you tell me why you're the only man in this line? And the man said, Sure, my wife told me to stand here. Anyways, that, that's enough. Aren't you glad I'm finished with bad jokes? <laughs> if you were here last week, you probably remember that we dealt with the topic of hell. And, and aren't you glad that we were one and done I didn't do an entire sermon series on hell. And aren't you glad we get to talk about heaven today? When it comes to our perception of heaven, I found that our theology of heaven is just about as messed up as our theology of hell. Listen to what some people think about heaven. They think that heaven will be this never-ending, eternal church service. And everyone will have on these white choir robes and they will be on these massive choir risers singing in this huge heavenly choir. And there will be this mammoth pipe organ. And it'll be kind of cool to sing in this choir for a few years because everybody's going to be on tune. Nobody will be flat or sharp or singing sour notes. But, but then for those of us that are ADHD, you know, after a hundred years or so, we'll be like, wow. I got Ansi in church singing four songs on Sunday morning, and we're now on song 876,451, and I'm not sure I want to do this forever. Others view heaven as a place where we just sleep in late and get up around noon and, and go to the Holy Grounds coffee shop and get our heavenly latte and, and uh, with French vanilla creamer, and, and then we just kind of stroll the streets of gold like we stroll the streets of the Branson Landing. And then others view heaven as, as a place where you can kind of reserve a cloud for a day and, and take a float trip through space, kind of like you would go on a float trip in Arkansas. Or maybe others view heaven as a place where on, on special days you can go on vacation to a star. You know, like you would go on vacation to the beach. Now, it'd be cool to float on a cloud and explore outer space. And, you know, the coffee from the Holy Grounds Cafe, I, I think that would be pretty awesome. But I think heaven will be so much better than all of those things put together. All of that to say that we are really messed up when it comes down to our view of heaven. And I think the biggest reason is because many people do not read their Bibles. And they base their views of heaven on bad jokes like I told you. Or, or they base their view on heaven you know, on a George Burns or a Morgan Freeman movie. 
And just saying, I do not recommend Hollywood as your source for correct information on the afterlife. I, I know that our quote-unquote friends in Hollywood think they have a corner on truth. They're pretty outspoken about it. But, but you probably need a source that is more reliable than those celebrities. And thankfully, we do have that reliable source, and it's God's Word. Now, let me try to lay a little bit of a foundation and before I do that, let me just kind of walk you through the process that I normally go through preparing for my message on Sunday. You know, Sunday afternoon, after our morning services, and I go home and get a bite to eat, I rest a little bit, I generally head back to the church between 2.30 and 3. My goal is to try to map out the direction of the sermon for the following Sunday. And of course, my goal is not to flesh it out, but if I can get the general direction, then I can be praying and researching and meditating throughout the week and I'm not, I, I'm not capable to come down to the end of the week or even the middle of the week and have to cram and, and stress. But anyway, as I was trying to figure out what approach to use for, for the study, I began thinking, okay, what is one experience that our family has had that I could say was just heavenly? And I wish that that experience could have lasted forever. Well, first of all, there's no family trip, there's no vacation, no nothing that can come close to comparing with heaven. But, but I did think of an experience that we enjoyed together as a family several years ago. When our girls were still in high school, we, we bought a little pop-up camper, and, and during our summer vacations, we would drag that thing all around the country. I mean, we were like the, the Beverly Hillbillies, and, and, and we, we would take our family, we went to New York City, to Los Angeles, north, south, east, west, and, and, and I know at times we provided some laughs for people. But one particular year we headed west, we drove straight through the day, straight through the night, about 24 hours later, we arrived at Yosemite National Park. We, we found a fairly secluded wilderness camping site, and this was before campsites were pretty much by the lottery system. You had to draw to get one, but we found a great secluded site, enjoyed some several amazing and heavenly days where we saw waterfalls and wildlife and some of those beautiful scenery in the world. And how, how many of you have been to Yosemite National Park? Let me just see your hands. So a few of you have. Some of you need to get out of Branson once in a while, get out of Cedar County, St. Clair County, and go explore the world. But that's just some of the most beautiful scenery in the entire world. Well, right near the end of our stay, my oldest daughter, Erica, and I, we left the camper early one morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning. We headed to the base of that beautiful, iconic place called Half Dome. And, and it was a very special moment as, as a father and daughter made their way up that majestic mountain of rock, and, and together we got to celebrate the summit of Half Dome. And I've got a picture for those of you that haven't been there uh, this right here is Half Dome, and you can tell why it's called Half Dome, but, you know, you start way down here, and you kind of work your way around, and then that last part where you go up that granite part is, I don't know how to say, except it's just uh, exhilarating, and it's just amazing, and, and besides a close encounter with a bear that made Erica a little jumpy, and, you know, the, the bear kept making eerie noises and seemed to want to stay close to us as we worked our way up the mountain, but Besides that, our stay in Yosemite National Park was heavenly. And the next day when our family left the park, we were thinking, 
I wish this could have lasted forever. Well, in, in contrast to that experience, on the way back to Missouri, we stopped in Las Vegas. We had never been to Vegas before, and I thought that the Trussells needed to experience Vegas, and so we made a family pact that whatever went on in Vegas would stay in Vegas. And uh, I ended up having to drag my wife out of the casinos a couple of times, but besides that, it wasn't too bad. But, um, but, but seriously, we were so turned off by, by Vegas. We had scheduled three days, and, uh, but we had just left the beauty of Yosemite National Park and found ourselves in Sin City, and we couldn't get out of there fast enough. We, we spent one stormy night there, and that was way too much, and we left the next day. But we look back at our stay at Yosemite as, as heavenly, wishing that it would never end. Now, the truth of the matter is that not only will heaven be so much better than, than Yosemite National Park, but, but heaven will be infinitely and indescribably better than anything we could ever imagine in our wildest dreams. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And, and last week, the, the truth of that scripture just settled in on me because as, as hard as I tried, as, as I read and as I prayed and as I studied about heaven and I, I studied the dimensions and I got stuck there at the dimensions because if I understand correctly, heaven is going to be 1,500 miles in each direction. And, and that's significant because, you know, when you think of airplanes flying, you know how high they fly? About seven to eight miles above where we are. And to think that the new Jerusalem will extend up approximately 1,500 miles. So, so I got stuck there. And, but anyway, as I read about the dimensions and, and the construction and the precious metals of the New Jerusalem, I, I read about the end of sorrow and, and suffering and, and the new and improved relationship with, we will have with God, even after studying hours and hours and after trying to find a way to put this into words, there, there was a high degree of frustration within me, simply because there was no way that my mind could wrap itself around all of that. There was no way that my, my mouth could describe what heaven will be like. And so, in a sense, I feel my message today will be a massive failure, because I don't have it in me. I don't have the vocabulary. I don't have the capacity to truly understand and communicate to you what heaven will be like. But with God's help, let me give it my best effort. Now, as we begin, you need to know that the concept of heaven is under fierce attack. And to set this up, let me remind you of an important history lesson. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us about Lucifer, who, who is now known as the prince of darkness or Satan or, or the devil or the father of lies. He's got a lot of names. But at one time, you need to know, and this is history, Lucifer was actually God, one of God's highest and most influential, influential angels. But he wanted to be like God. And so he mustered up the support of about a third of God's angels to try to overthrow God. And, and the result was a cosmic conflict where, where God ended up casting Satan and those rebellious angels out of heaven. Since that time, 
Satan has had revenge on his mind. And if you remember last week, part of Satan's revenge was to try to convince us that, that hell was not as bad as we think. And by the same token, part of Satan's revenge is to attack the concept of heaven. And I want to give you two lies that I believe Satan wants us to believe about heaven. The first is that Satan wants us to believe that heaven can wait. Not only is this the title of a movie, but but it's a major strategy to get us so wrapped up in the things of this world to where we begin to love the world and, and the things of the world. And when that happens, the the things of heaven begin to dim in importance. So the first lie that Satan tells us is, heaven can wait. Now the second lie that Satan tells us, and I want you to listen to this. He tells us the lie that heaven is our default destination. You know, most people in our country today believe that, that everyone dies, and when they die, by default, they go to heaven. Except in extreme situations where maybe someone was a serial killer or, you know, just a a good-for-nothing, rotten, despicable person, but our society doesn't think that very many of those people exist. But we need to realize that, that our default destination is not heaven. Our default destination is hell. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. It says the wages of sin is death. And and unless we accept the gift of God's son, unless we turn from our sins, it doesn't matter how good we were. It doesn't matter how many times we were baptized, how often we went to church. We will not go to heaven. You know, I read an interesting statistic. Study was conducted and they, they found that for every 120 people that believe they are going to heaven... Only one person believes they are going to hell. 120 to heaven, one to hell. So what does this tell us? Does this tell us that society is getting a lot better? No, it tells us that society is very deceived. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose the easy way. So, uh, according to Scripture, there will be many, many, many more people that will go to hell than heaven. And so, heaven is not our default destination. And only for those who have had their sins cleansed by the blood of the Lamb will their destination be heaven. Okay, for the rest of our time together, we're going to uh, just kind of stand on our tiptoes. We're going to take a little peek into heaven. And the book that probably gives us our best look is the book of Revelation. John, often referred to as John the Revelator, had been exiled to to the island of Patmos. And while there he had a vision of heaven from God. Let's read the vision that he had in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was gone. And and when he said there was no sea, the sea partially represented turmoil and storms. And he was saying those hard times would be over. Verse 2. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. Now listen to this. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Now let's stop there. This is a significant shout. Now, this is a, a phrase that is used fairly frequently in the book of Revelation. And, and um, I, I personally went to the book of Revelation and I counted every time that it said there's a loud shout or a loud voice. And in the NIV, I found 18 times that, that, that you see that there. And, and most every time there's a loud shout... It precedes a very important announcement that's about to be made. And here in verse 3 where we read is the 18th and final time we read this phrase, there's a loud shout. And, 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 and it precedes an announcement that is so huge. In fact, this past week as I studied and began to understand how wonderful this big announcement was, I I almost got chills that went up and down my spine. Here it is. I heard a loud shout saying, look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all of their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. For the old world and its evils are gone forever. What an amazing announcement. Let's make three heavenly observations from these four verses. Number one, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I wish I could give you complete details of the new heavens and the new earth, but I can't. But, but this very same God that offers you new life in Christ and, and, and the very same God that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the same God who gives you a new resurrected and glorified body, the same God that, that, that says following the return of Jesus and, the, and, and following the 1,000-year millennial reign, he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. The Old Testament even talks about it in Isaiah 65, 17 says, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth so wonderful that no one will even think about the old ones anymore. And then the New Testament in second Peter verse uh, chapter three, verse 13 says, but we're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised. So. I'll just admit I'm not smart enough to fill in all of the details, but there will be the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And let me tell you what I do understand. Everything in this world is currently under the curse of sin. Our bodies suffer from the curse of sin. That's why we get sick and die. Our minds suffer from the curse of sin. That's why sometimes we're not very smart. We don't understand a lot. The plant world is under the curse of sin. That's why all of a sudden they'll turn brown and die. The, the weather is under the curse of sin. Need I say anything else? <laughs> yesterday, fr Friday, we went to, to Arkansas to um, family graduation. We came back yesterday and as we were going north on, on 49 there from, from Joplin, um, we decided to just head down the road towards Golden City where the, the tornado struck. And, and um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just, we, we left there with a void. 
you know, where the three individuals were killed. We drove right by that area. One of the mobile homes was taken over across the road. And, and one of the families, they had uh, these tubs. They were trying to sort through the debris across the road, just some of the stuff that was theirs. That's because of the curse of sin. The animal kingdom suffers from the curse of sin. The, the curse of sin has affected the world in every possible way. But, but when the curse of sin is removed, then you will be looking at a world where there will be true harmony and peace. And, and, and this is where the scripture, and you, you, you've heard of the scripture, but this is where it becomes a reality in Isaiah eleven six. Try to picture this. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. They do not coexist naturally. The lamb is a meal for the wolf. Wolf, They will live together. The leopard and the goat will be at peace. Calves and yearlings will be safe among lions. And a little child will lead them all. The cattle will graze among bears. Cubs and calves will lie down together. And lions will eat grass as the livestock do. Listen to this. Babies will crawl safely among poisonous snakes. And some of you ladies just went, ooh. And listen. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes and pull it out unharmed. There will be a time when the curse of sin will be removed. The new heavens and the new earth will be a place of peace. One more aspect before we move on, and I don't want to take much time here because this sometimes is overemphasized. This is really not the best part of heaven. But in this new heaven, the Bible gives some pretty amazing word pictures of the physical beauty, streets of transparent gold. Jewels, rare, expensive, precious metals, gates of pearl, beauty that we can't really come close to comprehending. But all of that to say the new Jerusalem will be so far beyond our wildest dreams. Let's move on. It gets better. The second observation from our scripture is that God will do away with all death, sorrow, and pain. Let, let me read it again because this is awesome news. Remember, there was the loud shout. It says, he will remove all of their sorrows. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. And, and this past week I was thinking, oh, Lord, how can I make this come alive to us? I just, I felt so frustrated. How can I help us understand a world without death? I mean, that's so ingrained in us. You know, a, a world without pain. We all hurt. I, I mean, those things are so deeply ingrained within. So, so I was thinking, Lord, what can I say to help us get a glimpse of a world without death, sorrow, and pain? And Would you let me take a hillbilly approach and say it this way? Just put it down. I think most of us can understand it this way. Heaven means the following. Heaven means no more aggravation, no more agitation, no more addictions, no more AIDS, and even no more athlete's foot. 
Heaven also means no more backaches, bitterness, broken bones, broken homes, bad business meetings. No more baldness. Amen. And no more bunions. Heaven means no more cancer, cemeteries, crime, complaining, car wrecks, crutches, and chiggers. And cats. I'm sorry. (laughs) Heaven means no more death, divorce, deceit, disappointments, and even dandruff. You know, if we go through the alphabet, this could take a while. Get comfortable here. This means no more funerals, fighting, fussing, feuding, fault-finding, and false teeth. No more garbage, glasses, goodbyes, guilt, and gout. No more heart attacks, hospitals, high blood pressure, hearing aids. No more immorality, incest, insects, insurance, and idiots. No more sickness, sorrows, sinus infections, selfishness, stealing, sauerkraut, and sweat. No more toothaches, taxes, tornadoes, trials, ticks, and toupees. Furthermore, some of you are worried sick about your job and your finances and the economy. No more. For those of you who have been burned by someone and you find it difficult to trust people, well, no more sin in relationships. No more babies dying around the world because they lack food. No more genocide. And then any tear that you have shed for whatever reason, and and this is amazing, but the Bible says in verse 4 that God himself, the God of the universe, creator, Lord of all, he will come personally and wipe away every tear. And again, we could continue on for a long time. You know, God will do away with all death, sorrow, and pain. And frankly, most of the time, this is where we stop. But I want to get to the third point because this is the best of all. You know, streets of gold, gates of pearl, no tears, no pain. That's all cool, but... The best part of heaven is, number three, that God himself will dwell with us. Now, that's a drastic change from the way it currently is. You know, on earth today, God dwells with us through his Holy Spirit, but it's in a limited way. We have access to God, but we're unable to experience God in his complete glory. Let me explain this. When you look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, it's it's said that no one could look upon God and live. And so, therefore, when Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. God said, Moses, you couldn't handle it. But God said, I'll tell you what, Moses, here's what I will do. I'm going to pass by you and, and give you a glimpse of myself through what theologians call anthropomorphism and and that's just a big word you don't need to remember that but an anthropomorphism is is basically giving human attributes to god you know god is a spirit and and so to be able to understand god just a little bit we pretty much have to do so through human attributes and so god said moses i'm going to give you a glimpse of me but but here's what you got to do you need to go bury your face on the side of the mountain and i'm going to 
put my hand over you. I'll pass by and I'm going to move my hand just a tiny bit. Let you see a little bit of my glory because any more than that, you couldn't handle. You would die. And, and remember what happened? God moved his hand just a little bit. Moses saw a tiny bit of God's glory and it puts, put such a shine on Moses' face and he came down the mountain. The rest of the Israelites were waiting on, on, on him and, and they saw him. They couldn't look him on his face and, and they said, Moses, this is hurting our eyes. You're going to have to put a veil on you until the shine fades away. So because of our frail humanity, we've not been able to see God's full glory. But here in the book of Revelation, remember that 18th and final loud shout. That was a big announcement indicating that now our glorified bodies would be new and improved. And because of that new and improved, we would now be able to handle having God live among us. And not just that, but exactly one chapter later, Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, it says, No longer will anything be cursed. Remember, I talked about the curse. Curse of sin is on the weather. It's on humanity. It's on the animal. Everything. No longer will anything be cursed. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. And ladies and gentlemen, please understand, that's what heaven is about. You know, it's not about singing in the heavenly choir. It's not about floating on a cloud. It's it's not just walking the streets of gold. It's not about mansion over the hilltop. I mean, those are perks. Those would be wonderful. That's basically all you hear about at funerals. You know, walking the streets of gold. but, But heaven is really about God making his home among us. And I believe in that moment, when you see his face, wow, at that moment, all of his character and attributes that we haven't been able to fully comprehend as human beings, they will now become real to us. And I have a feeling that we will look upon him and Say, oh God, you are truly my rock. You're my salvation. You're my redeemer. You're my righteousness. God, you're my Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. You're my Jehovah Nissi. The Lord our banner. You're my Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. You're my Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. These are all Hebrew names of God revealed in the pages of the Old Testament. God, you are my all in all. And I wonder if at that moment, if our worship won't be any more pure than ever before. You know, we come to church here and we sing and sometimes raise our hand a little bit. Maybe shed a few tears. But I I wonder if at that moment we won't truly begin to worship and And at year 10,000, I wonder if the words of amazing grace will take on a new meaning. You know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So, 
for those of you who are in Christ, are in Christ, may you store up treasures in heaven and live for that day that you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the new Jerusalem. But for those of you who are without Christ, may the Holy Spirit of God begin to burn an eternal message in you and, and may you receive Jesus by grace through faith and put your trust in Him. So, if you're following Jesus, you're living a life pleasing to God, store up treasures. Store up treasures. But if you are not living a life of righteousness and you're living a life of sin, may the Holy Spirit burn upon our hearts that we need to, we must repent and turn. You know, last week we talked just there is a place called hell and may we, by God's grace, avoid that. But there also is a place called heaven. And may we be ready to go there when God calls us. Lord, I want to just pray right now the closing, these closing moments of this service. Father, don't let us be deceived. Satan wants to say, heaven can wait. And so he gets us distracted on the things of this earth and accumulating and having fun and it all becomes about fun and stuff. Lord, we miss sending treasures over there because we miss witnessing and, Lord, seeing other people come to know Jesus. But Lord, Satan also causes us to believe that, you know, because I'm an American, you know, I'm a good person and heaven is the default destination. And just unless I really blow it, then I want to go to heaven. And God help us to understand that it's by grace through faith that we can go to heaven. Lord, we don't need to be fearful. There are provisions. There has been provision made so that every one of us can go. But Lord, we're going to have to take steps to put our trust in you. And so, God, I just pray right now that you would give us that seriousness, Lord, that we would understand our lives as you see them. Pray this in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you are without Christ this morning, would you just take the steps of saying, Lord, here I am. I, I place my trust in you. And if there's sin in your life, would you just repent, turn from that sin? Let the blood of Jesus just cleanse you from all sin. Would you do that? Just as we wrap up this service, would you just take that step of doing that? Father, as we go from here, let us live prayerfully and carefully in light of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. And uh, if there's someone here that you want to pray, see us after the service or we'll be glad to talk to you next week. If you're rushed today, let's make sure that we're ready to experience this beautiful, beautiful place called heaven. Don't forget, no church tonight here at the camp out. You can go for that. You're dismissed.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.